John chapter three, beginning in verse one, it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him. Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify to what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven. But he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The time, it's the 19th of Nisan. In the Jewish calendar year, 3792. If we're going to translate that into the Gregorian calendar, it's after sunset, April 7th, 30 A.D. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. In chapter 2, he, he has turned the water into wine in the beginning of uh, at the end of the chapter. He has driven out the money changers. He's overturned the tables. He has told the people to stop misrepresenting God. Jesus has performed many signs and miracles. Jesus doesn't trust the crowds. He knows that some are following him out of curiosity. Some look at Jesus from a distance out of deep concern because they wonder who the youthful rabbi is and what exactly he wants. A few from conviction. They want to know more about this rabbi Jesus. And so we begin with a religious leader's need for the new birth. There was a man of the Pharisees, it says in verse one, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. There were different religious sects in Judaism in the first century, most notably the Sadducees, the, the Pharisees. 
we're aware of other groups that existed, but the Pharisees were the, the strictest set of Jews. They were religiously observant. We also know that he is a ruler of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin, because later Jesus calls him the ruler, Ho Didaskalos. It means arguably, perhaps, he is the most famous, he is the, arguably the most noted Bible teacher. Later, we're going to discover not only is he a Bible teacher, but remember, that's all that that implies. He, Nicodemus, can read and write in the original biblical languages. He gives to the poor. He celebrates the Jewish feasts. He offers the ritual sacrifices. He gives alms to the poor. Nicodemus has the best education. He's fairly wealthy. We know this because later on, he will be the person who, along with Joseph of Arimathea, covers Christ's funeral expenses. Nicodemus is what my friend Scott Kerr calls a big dog, important, dignified, religious, influential. But there's something missing. There's something wrong. There's something empty. There's something lacking. Nicodemus has what we would call impeccable religious credentials. Brilliant scholar, gifted leader, respectable member of the religious governing body. My friend Bob Ayala used to sing a song called Nicodemus. And in it, he opens up his song by saying, He came by night as silent as a hunter on the hill. The moon, your light, your cloak, a moving shadow while you walked. He greets Jesus. In verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabboni, Rabbi. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We're not told why Nicodemus came by night. It could very well be that he came by night because he didn't want the involvement of the religious Sanhedrin. Remember, Jesus has just overturned the money changers. He's driven out the donkeys and the cattle and the sheep and all of that and, and the sacrifices. It could very well be that he just simply wants uninterrupted time. He wants to have a private conversation with Jesus. The most important thing isn't that he came by night. The most important thing is that he came at all. By the way, simply coming to Jesus was no guarantee of a friendship or a discipleship or salvation. For the person who said, I met Jesus. Not everybody who meets Jesus walks away saved, forgiven. Redeemed. Maybe one of the best examples in all the New Testament, remember, is, is, the, is the rich young ruler. Remember, he comes to the master. He comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, do you keep the commandments? He goes, since I was young. He says, there's one more thing you need to do. You need to sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and come 
and follow me. And you remember the story how he went away deeply disappointed because the Bible says that he was rich indeed. Jesus looked at him and said something very interesting. He said he the Bible says he looked at him and he loved him. Simply meeting Jesus and simply having Jesus love you and meeting you doesn't seem to fit the biblical criteria of whatever it means to have a right relationship with God, friendship with God. Nicodemus acknowledges Jesus as a teacher from God. He calls him rabbi, I suspect, out of respect. He doesn't call him the barefooted preacher from the Galilee. He offers him the same respect that you would to any notable rabbi. He even says, we know, implying that other religious leaders are watching. We know that you've done certain remarkable things. We know that you're exercising authority that we haven't seen before. We know, implying that other religious leaders are keeping an eye on him. And then he acknowledges him. As a miracle worker, no one can do these signs. Who are you, Jesus? Who are you? Are you the Messiah? The miracles show that God is with you, but all miracles are attached to a message. What is your message, Jesus? What are you saying about yourself? What are you claiming? Tell me truthfully and honestly, are you the Messiah? The signs are unmistakable and powerful and undeniable. But Jesus doesn't answer Nicodemus directly. Jesus, we've already learned from John's gospel, he knows what's going on inside of the heart of human beings. He knows what's going on inside of everyone's heart. He knows what's going on inside of this religious leader's heart. And so Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter since it is the heart that matters. Miracles and signs, though they offer a witness and a testimony are not the heart of the matter. What Nicodemus needs isn't simply religious information or a theological discussion. The rabbi may have come to the rabbi in hopes that they could embrace one another and philosophically and theologically begin to debate and discover the great truths of God. But this religious leader needed something more. He needed a transformation of the heart. He had to be different on the inside, changed from within, changed completely to undergo a transformation that can only be described as being born again. Andrew Murray wrote, quote, Salvation consists wholly in being saved from ourselves or that which we are by nature, unquote. That is, we are by nature human and we are by nature slaves to sin. The Bible says that we're born in sin. We're conceived in iniquity. Paul would later write in the book of Romans, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And we see the imperative of the new birth. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
That expression, most assuredly, we're going to see it over and over again in John's gospel. Remember, it's elsewhere translated also verily, verily or truly, truly. It's an idiomatic expression, which means what I'm about to say to you is absolutely, confidently the truth. It's another idiomatic expression way of saying if you've forgotten everything that I've said up till now, Understand this, what I'm about to say to you is absolutely true. That doesn't mean that everything he said previously is untrue, but he's drawing special attention to it. You must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Birth brings life. Just like human beings are physically born into this physical world through the agency of a mother and a father, human beings must experience a spiritual birth. And you had nothing to do with your presence on the planet Earth. Your mother and your father united together and made a genetic contribution. You weren't in heaven going, I think I want you and you to be my mom and dad. Because remember, just think if if you had a choice, you would have been up there going, I'm going for Bill Gates, Bill Gates, billionaire. I want a parent who's going to be able to take care of me. By the way, the spiritual birth is from on high. It's a spiritual birth. A conception that catches the religious observant Jew off guard. The Greek word translated born and then again is anothen. Again, its first and basic meaning means to be born from on high. Josephus in the first century and others use it in the sense of being born again or anew. As a matter of fact, even Nicodemus himself interprets Jesus' words to be to mean born again. Because remember, he says in verse four, how can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he understands, at least from this particular perspective, that Jesus is talking about a new birth. I suppose Jesus is being purposefully ambiguous. He's illustrating a spiritual birth from on high And then the experience of having a new birth. I suspect it means both. By the way, there are many times in the scripture when you don't have to take either it's this or it's that. You don't have to take an either or position here. Sometimes we can take it's both and approach. This new birth is from above, brought on by the Holy Spirit. The new birth is regeneration, but it's also the experience of transformation by the Holy Spirit. Are you a Christian? I remember when someone asked me that question many years ago. The person said to me, are you a Christian? And I said, of course I am. I'm a Catholic. I was born a Catholic. I was raised a Catholic. I was baptized a Catholic. I was confirmed a Catholic. I am a Catholic. And a voice inside of my heart whispered, no, you're not. You're a sinner, a wicked sinner. And I went, where did that come from? Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Maybe you've had people say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born again types. 
I was raised Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopalian. I was raised Presbyterian. I was raised Baptist. I was raised this. I was raised that. I am a Christian because I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Hindu. What does it mean to be born again? Chuck Swindoll writes, and I quote, religion attempts to turn over new leaves. Regeneration transforms lives. Religion is human effort to reach God. Our attempt to gain God's favor. Regeneration is God's effort to reach us. His demonstration of love based on grace, aside from any merit on our part. The human plan of salvation involves external series of good works, church attendance, baptism, giving, benevolent deeds. God's plan is an internal gift from himself, the impartation of new life, which means a spiritual birth, unquote. According to George Barna and the Barna Research Group, Quote, born again Christians are not defined on the basis of characterizing themselves as born again, but based upon their answers to two questions. The first is, quote, have you ever made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important in your life today? Unquote. If the respondent says yes, then they are asked a follow up question about life after death. One of the seven perspectives a respondent may choose is, quote, when I die, I will go to heaven because I have confessed my sins and have accepted Jesus Christ as my savior, unquote. Individuals who answer yes to the first question and select this statement as their belief about their own salvation are then categorized as born again, unquote. But do you realize, according to this definition, Larry Flint considers himself to be a born again Christian. The, the publisher of Hustler magazine. There are people who would consider themselves born-again Christians because they say, I, I pray to receive Jesus, I go to church, I read a Bible, I give to the poor. But is it consistent with what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3? The New Testament teaches us the new birth is first of all necessary, second of all spiritual. Jesus says most assuredly, verily, verily. This is true. A person can't see. A person won't see. A person will never see the kingdom of God or enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus says in verse 5. Unless you are born from above, born by the Spirit, according to chapter or verse 7. The new birth is a spiritual birth, the birth of a new power and a new being. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any person's in Christ, they're a new creation. It isn't the reformation of the old nature. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, it isn't being a better person. It isn't going to church. It isn't even reading your Bible. It's the new birth that takes place within by the power of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, the New Testament writers write this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It says, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
In Acts chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. For those people who come to Christ, quite apart from rejecting their sin, quite apart from confessing their sin, Quite apart from repenting of their sin. For those people who live under the illusion that you can just simply go to a church, you can say a prayer, and you can really mean it with all of your heart, but now you are given permission to continue to think and act and speak like a person who has never experienced a right relationship with God, you're sadly mistaken. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The word creation means, it's the same word that's used to describe a new species. It's a type of being that has never existed and now exists. Behold, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the religious leader, Nicodemus is a religious leader. He goes, I am a Jew. My father was a Jew. His, his father was a Jew. I was circumcised the eighth day. I have observed Judaism since my youth. Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, you're a Jew and that's fine. You've got your way. I've got my way. He doesn't say that. In verse 4, the spirit, the spiritual, he describes the spiritual nature of the new birth. Look what it says. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Some have suggested that Nicodemus was old because he said that. He didn't necessarily have to be really old to be a member of the Sanhedrin. But you were a seasoned saint. You understood the law. He would have been deeply, deeply informed of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He would have had the words of Isaiah at the end of his mouth, the words of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. We've looked at the credentials of the religious leader of Nicodemus. We've heard the confession of Nicodemus. You're special. You're, there's something extraordinary about you, Jesus. We've heard the command to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And now we see the confusion of Nicodemus. Nicodemus confuses physical birth with spiritual birth. By the way, his name Nicodemus means victory over the people. It's a Greek name. Some have suggested that Nicodemus is making a reference to reincarnation. I've had people who believe in reincarnation point to this verse and say, See, Jesus believed that you are born again and again and again and again. No, that's not what it's saying. Read the text in its context. The New Testament answer to reincarnation is resurrection. The Bible says it is appointed once for a human being to live and to die. And after that, the judgment Nicodemus would have been absolutely, he would have been absolutely aware of the scripture in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 31, where it says, cast away from you all the transgressions 
which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Nicodemus says, how can how can a man be born when he is old? How can he get a new life? How can you exchange the old life for a new life? Nicodemus is not born again. His confusion is evidence of that. He needs a new heart and and he needs a new spirit. Yes, but how? How do you get a new heart and how? How do you get a new spirit? Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, Oh, for a man to rise in me that the man that I am might cease to be. Some of you have prayed prayers similar to that. I just wish I could be. I wish I could stop thinking these thoughts. I wish I could stop saying these things. I wish I could stop being so wicked and harmful and weird. I want to be different. I want to change. How can you change? How can you be different, especially when you're old? How can you start all over again? Jesus will use three illustrations. A physical illustration, a natural illustration in verse 8, and then a scriptural illustration in verses 14 through 15. Look at verse 5 where he gives the physical illustration. He says, Jesus answered and he said, most assuredly, there's that expression again. Listen carefully and think it through because what I'm about to say to you is factual and true. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. Don't be blown away. Don't let this Fog your thinking or pull the plug on your ability to think it through. Don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. He talks about the source of the new birth. That which is flesh is flesh. Human beings create human beings. The physical produces that which is physical. The spiritual produces that which is spiritual. Some have suggested when when Jesus says. Unless one is born of water and the spirit. Some have suggested that Jesus is speaking about baptism. But how does a physical element achieve a spiritual result? Why would Nicodemus says, I'm a Jew. I am the son of a Jew and the grandson of a Jew. I was circumcised the eighth day. I, why should I be baptized? I wash my hands before every meal. I, observe, I keep kosher. I observe the laws of clean and unclean. Are you going to tell me that one more ritual is going to result in the inward transformation that is going to be necessary for me to have friendship and a right relationship with God? Paul knew that that couldn't be the case. He writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a big discussion about divisions within the Corinthian church brought on by human wisdom. Wisdom dividing the body and they began to argue over you on whether or not you had to be baptized in order to be saved. 
And Paul writes in chapter 1 of verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Except for Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Oh, by the way, I did baptize the household of Stephanas. I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. And then he says in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. If you have to be baptized in order to be saved, Paul had an obligation to say, I will preach the gospel to you and I will baptize you because you have to be both have to do both in order to be saved. But he didn't do it. So what does it mean? What does it mean? Born of water and of the spirit. By the way, the original language in the Greek language, it can be constructed this way. Unless one is born of water and the word translated and can also be translated even. Unless one is born of water, even the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. A human being is born and they come into this world. Some have suggested that here the water becomes a type and a picture of the word of God. We know in John chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus speaking to his own disciples, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. The word has cleansed you. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, Paul writes that he, speaking of the Lord God and Jesus Christ, might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. First Peter, chapter one, verse 23, Peter writes and he says, having been born again, the same word, having been born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Just like you have a mother and just like you have a father and they unite together in order to produce you. The word of God. And the Spirit of God unite together in order to bring about the spiritual transformation, the new birth. And he gives not just a physical illustration. Now he's going to go with a natural illustration. Look again in verse eight. Look at Jesus's words. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus and Nicodemus are on the back streets of Jerusalem. The Passover has passed. The evening has come. The wind picks up. And as the wind picks up, you can see the wind causing the palm and the tree in the in the city of Jerusalem begin to float back and forth. And just like the invisible wind has a visible effect on the physical object, he begins to speak to Nicodemus. What is he saying? The wind comes from somewhere. It goes somewhere. You don't know where it's coming from. It is invisible. You don't see it, but you see the effect of it. We're hard pressed to explain the new birth in simple physical terms. We're describing a spiritual event. The spiritual birth, the new birth is necessary. It is spiritual. 
in nature. It is not physical. It is not material. It is not psychological. And look at verse 9. The experience of the new birth. Nicodemus, the religious leader, answers. He says to him, How can these things be? Now, is this the question of a hard heart? Is this the question of a person who simply wants to know more? Is this the question of a religious leader? What's going on inside of the heart of Nicodemus? What's going on on the inside? I'm a Jew. My father was a Jew. His father was a Jew. I've been born in a religious tradition. I observe the Torah. I observe the festivals. I observe the laws. I observe the 612 commands. I observe all that the Bible says. What are you saying to me, Jesus? What are you saying? Are you saying that I have to stop being a Catholic? I have to stop being a Protestant. I have to stop being a Presbyterian. What are you saying? Are are you saying that I have to abandon my religious tradition? What are you talking about? What are you saying? Look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you ho didaskalos? Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Nicodemus, the whole world and all of Judaism looks to you for religious instruction. For biblical answers. You are the Bible answer man. And since you're the Bible answer man and you have all of the answers, how can you not know this? Jesus chides Nicodemus for not knowing the answer. It's interesting to me. We might think of Nicodemus as the authority in all things Jewish. And because he is the authority in all things Jewish, and because he does understand Isaiah, because he does understand Jeremiah, because he does understand Daniel, because he would have been thoroughly familiar with Ezekiel. Nicodemus would have known in Ezekiel chapter 37, you know the passage of Scripture, where God shows the prophet Ezekiel the valley of dry bones, and he asks the question, how can these bones live again? Do you remember Ezekiel's answer? I'm going to go with cloning. No, that's not what it says in the Bible. It doesn't say I'm going to go with cloning. How can that which is dead come back to life? You remember Ezekiel's response? He goes, I don't know. The Lord instructed Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, and Ezekiel did so. And the bones came together, and they formed lifeless, inanimate human beings. And then the Lord told the prophet to prophesy to the wind or the spirit. In the Hebrew language, The word is ruach. It's translated wind and it's also translated spirit. In the Greek language, it's the word pneuma. It is translated wind and it is translated spirit. And the Lord said to the prophet, prophesy to the spirit. And the lifeless bodies came back to life. They were born again. And look what it says in verse 11. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know. We testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. 
Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus, how can you not get it? Nicodemus, put the pieces of the puzzle together. Water, spirit. Do you need more? Look what Jesus says. We speak what we know and testify. That means bear witness. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you what I know. And look carefully and don't miss this. But you do not receive our witness. You do not believe. You do not receive my witness. You do not believe. Do you understand what's happening? Nicodemus, the religious leader, Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, the witness is rejected. It would appear that Nicodemus doesn't believe he doesn't receive Jesus at this point in his life. Salvation is in part a matter of receiving or rejecting Jesus. There's no middle ground. You'll note what he says. Most assuredly, I, Jesus, most assuredly, I'm telling you the truth. We speak what we know and we testify to what you, we have seen. Look what Jesus is doing. Jesus is making this about himself. This isn't about Calvinism versus Arminianism. This isn't about a religious construct. This isn't about a religious tradition. You'll know what Jesus is doing. Jesus is making this about himself. Salvation is in part a matter of receiving or rejecting the witness and the testimony of Jesus. It isn't the witness or the testimony of Gino. It isn't the, the witness or the testimony of you. Jesus is speaking and he's telling them exactly what he needs to know. You may be uncertain about Jesus. You may not know everything about Jesus. But your eternal destination is decided on the basis of whether or not you accept him or whether or not you reject him. We've already seen in John chapter one, verse 11. Remember, John wrote, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And then we find later, remember when Jesus finds Philip and then he finds Nathaniel. And he says, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And remember Nathaniel's response, you are the Messiah. You're the king of Israel. He received him. In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says these words. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Does it disturb you? Does it upset you? That Jesus makes it about him? About friendship with him? About relationship with him? About understanding and identifying and believing what it means to have friendship with him. A.W. Tozer wrote, salvation is from our side a choice. From the divine side, it's a seizing upon, an apprehending, a conquest by the most high God. Our accepting and willing are reactions rather than actions. 
Philip and Nathaniel have a reaction to the reality of who Jesus is. Nicodemus doesn't. It isn't time for Nicodemus. Will it ever be time for Nicodemus? We'll meet him again, by the way, two more times in John's gospel. We'll come upon him in John chapter 7, verse 45 through 51. There, Jesus is being ridiculed. There is a concentrated effort to kill Jesus. And Nicodemus will defend Jesus before the Sanhedrin. And and he will say, is it consistent with our own custom and, and with our own law to condemn a man without ever hearing a word from that man? And then we'll find him one more time in John chapter 19, verses 39 through 42. Nicodemus will literally go to the cross. He will literally take the dead body of Jesus from the cruel cross. He, along with Joseph of Arimathea, will anoint the body. Nicodemus will bring about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to mask the stench of death. And he, with his friend Joseph of Arimathea, will lay Jesus in a borrowed tomb. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, I told you about earthly things and you don't believe. If I tell you about heavenly things, how can you believe? But I suspect he's telling him about heavenly things in verse 13, the revelation of the new birth. Look what Jesus says. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Do you understand what he's saying? Nicodemus, no one, no one, Nicodemus, no one has ever come down from heaven with a message of hope. Except for the son of man. Buddha didn't. Confucius didn't. Muhammad didn't. Joseph Smith didn't. Mary Baker Glover Eddy didn't. Charles Taze Russell didn't. No one, no one, no one has ascended to heaven. No one has ever gone to to heaven. No one has came from heaven. No one has come down from heaven with a message of hope, with the revelation of what God wants, except for the Son of Man. Look what it says, who is in heaven. Wait a minute, I thought you're here. How can you be here and there? I don't have time to get into that. But look what it says in verse 14, the reality of the new birth. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus has given Nicodemus a natural illustration. A physical illustration. And now he is giving him a biblical illustration Nicodemus is a Jew. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is a teacher. He would have been absolutely, positively, 100% familiar with the story in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, that described the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. They received manna, and they're sick of manna. And the children of Israel murmur, and they complain, and they begin to murmur and complain against Moses. And then they begin to murmur and complain against God. 
And as a punishment, the Lord sent fiery, poisonous serpents into the camp. Many were bitten. The toxic venom coursed through their veins. Many of them died. Others became violently ill. And in order to deal with their disobedience, they cried out to God. And they cried out to Moses. And they said, we have sinned against you, Moses. And we've sinned against God. Moses, pray to God. And help us out of this circumstance. And then Moses was told by God to fabricate a bronze serpent and attach it to a pole and suspend it between heaven and earth. And if the people looked at the serpent in confident faith, in God's promise, in God's word, in God's provision, the coarse venom would go out of their body and they would be healed. I want you to think for just a moment. The rebelling children, the sinful sons of disobedience, all they had to do was look in faith at God's provision and God would heal them and God would forgive them and God would save them. Jesus applies this story to his own impending crucifixion and his own sacrifice for sin. And the serpent in the wilderness was made of brass. Brass is the metal which represents judgment. Jesus would absorb the judgment of sin. Nicodemus is asked to look at Jesus in simplicity and faith so that the religious leader would in simplicity and confidence trust the provision of God. He would have known what Habakkuk wrote so long ago that the just shall live by faith. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul wrote, For he made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. By the way, according to Barna's survey, 27% of so-called born-again Christians also believe that Jesus sinned. Do you want to know why? Because 27% of so-called born-again Christians either aren't born again or they are hopelessly ignorant of what the Bible has to say. The children of Israel weren't told to capture the snakes. They weren't told, look, capture the snakes. Start a television program. Milk their venom. Create an anti-serum. What you need is an antidote for those snake bites. They weren't told to make an offering. They weren't told to even pray. They weren't even told to look to Moses. They weren't told to make a sacrifice. They weren't told to go to church and get baptized. All they were required to do was simply look and believe and accept God's provision. Just like the thief later. When Jesus is suspended between heaven and earth on a cruel Roman cross. And the, one, of the, one of the thieves looks at him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And remember what the Bible says? This day you will be with me in paradise. What are you saying? A simple look of faith. And the thief exchanged a lifetime of sin and the pain of a profligate life for paradise? Yes. The children of Israel, suffering and dying, they exchanged their pain for pardon. How can these things be? 
How can you live a lifestyle of sin and be pardoned and cleared and exonerated and forgiven by simply looking to Jesus in faith for forgiveness? Look what it says in verse 15. That whoever, that whoever, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever, by the way, means whosoever. Believes means trust, rely, cling. Should not perish means you won't go to hell for your deserved sins. But have eternal life. What does eternal life mean? Life forever. Believe, believe, believe. Do you remember the stupid original Star Wars episode? Where Luke is receiving his training as, as a young Master Jedi. And the, the Master Jedi Yoda. And, and he, they're doing all kinds of weird things. And Luke goes, I don't believe it. And the Master Yoda says, that young Jedi is why you fail. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Although a Christian should believe simply, he should not simply believe. The answer Jesus gives to the religious leader is perhaps the most famous in all of the Bible. What would you say to a person who's the smartest, the most religious, the most noble, the best, most influential person? Imagine a person who's conversing in seven different languages and is arguably looked to as a world religious leader. What do you say to him if you only have a moment? Jesus says, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. We're going to talk about that next week. R.C. Sproul used to say, God doesn't throw a life preserver to a drowning person. He goes to the bottom of the sea. He pulls a corpse from the bottom of the sea. He takes him on the bank. He breathes into him the breath of life and makes him alive. That's what the Bible says when you are saved. C.S. Lewis wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but by it, I see everything else. The moment that you see and understand that Jesus loves you and that he died for you and that he is the satisfying substitution for your sin. And you embrace that. You'll see everything else. But we got to stop. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for each and every person here, for the religious person, for the knowledgeable person, for the wealthy person, for the influential person, 
for the person who was raised in a religious tradition and they're quite content with their religious tradition. But they know there's something wrong and they know that there's something empty and they know that there's something not quite right inside of them. Lord, I pray that they would believe the testimony of Jesus and receive the testimony of Jesus. And that by believing and receiving that the Holy Spirit would issue that invitation and that they would be born again. And that they would experience newness of life, forgiveness of sin, and reconciliation with you. Is that you? Do you hear the voice of God speaking to your heart? Do you hear the invitation? Is your heart racing? Is your palms sweating? Are you thinking... I need to know Jesus like that. Not just have a, an encounter. Not just meet Him in the night. Just have a, not just have a private conversation. But I want to be born from on high. I want to experience the supernatural birth that comes by inviting Jesus into my life and allowing the Holy Spirit to change me thoroughly and completely in my thinking, in my heart, in my living, in my speaking. Is that you? Just raise your hand. I'll pray for you. Praise the Lord. God knows your heart. Anyone else? You know, praise the Lord. You need to have a right relationship with God. Praise the Lord. Those who have raised their hand, Lord, you know what's going on. You're the one issuing the invitation. It isn't the excellence of the music or the words that I'm saying. I know that I can't talk anyone into into the new birth. Because if I could talk you into it, then somebody more clever than me could talk you out this is a divine time. A time when the Holy Spirit is issuing you an invitation to receive the witness of Jesus. And Lord, for those who have raised their hand, Lord, I pray that they would silently but specifically pray in their heart, Jesus. I believe that you are who you say that you are. And I believe the testimony that you've given that you came from heaven to the earth. And that you lived the perfect life that I could never live. And that you died on the cross for my sin. And that you rose from the dead. And because you're alive, you can change me from the inside out. And Lord, I pray. That with your help, I would turn from my sin finally and forever. And I would embrace all that you have and all that you are. And that I will walk with you in honesty and simplicity and humility. I want to know you and I want to know what your plan is for me. And I want to go to heaven. 